Now, I, I'm be honest with you. I don't always. Uh, I actually have the Bible on CD, and the number one reason why I have it on CD is because there's some names in here that it's just hard to pronounce. Period. And I'll find myself just kind of blowing through them like I will tonight, because you know you'll see who we're talking about, and you know they just can take some time. Even if I wrote it out um, phonically, it still can be a challenge. You understand what I'm talking about? I remember one time I put the CD in, and I was having so-and-so beget so-and-so beget so-and-so and and all this. And I was going to go through the begetting list and get all the names right. Well, they said so-and-so beget this person, and they said his name one way. Then they made a little sentence statement. Then they went back and used his name again because he's going to be the father of the name and said his name totally different. And I thought, how is that? I can't even trust this source now because he's not pronounced this man's name wrong one way or the other. Amen? So I find myself saying this person and this person in this town, and we all see that we're talking about that, okay? Uh, But we'll start in verse 1. It says this, After these acts of faithfulness, the king of Assyria came and invaded Judah, okay, and besieged the fortified city and thought to break into them for himself. Now when Hezekiah, who is the king, okay, of um, Judah, saw king of Assyria's intentions had come and that he intended to make war on Jerusalem, he decided with his officers and his warriors to cut off the supply of water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. So many people assembled and stopped up all the springs and the streams which flowed through the region, saying, Why should the king of Assyria come and find abundant water? And he took courage and rebuilt all the wall that had been broken down and erected towers on it, and build another outside wall and strengthen um, the uh, millow in the city of David and made weapons and shields of great number. He appointed military officers over the people and gathered them to him in the square at the city gate and spoke encouragingly to them saying, Be strong and courageous, do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor because all that all the horde that is with him. For the one with us is greater. Say, is greater. The one with us is greater than the one with him. Hallelujah. Amen. And he goes on to say, verse 8, With him is only an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rallied on the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Amen. So we see here in context, there's this king of Assyria, and he did not come small in numbers. This man had a huge army. In the seen realm, this guy has done a lot, and we'll see this a little bit later as we continue to read. He has decided that I'm going to go up to Jerusalem, and we're going to take it for myself. Well, what happens is King Hezekiah says, why in the world, because there's water flowing out of Jerusalem down to where they're at, they said, let's stop the water supply. Why give them refreshing water to come and take us over? We'll cut off their water supply. Amen? And so he does this. And then he rebuilds parts of the wall that were broken down, build another exterior wall around that to help fortify the city, develop some towers so that they can see what's going on. Then he turns to his people and says this in a paraphrase, there looks like there's more with them than there are with us. It looks pretty bad, guys. In fact, if you were just to look at them, you'd think we're going to die. But I want to encourage you because the greater one's with us, amen, than the one that's with him. He only comes in the natural. He only comes with what you see. 
But we have the one that no one can see, and he's on our side. We have the one that's the creator of heaven and earth. Hallelujah. So what did he do? He encouraged his military officers. He encouraged his people. He encouraged them. And you know that the people rallied around Hezekiah and said, Man, we are going to stand with our king. We're going to follow what he says. Look what he's done. He's fortified the wall. We built another one. We've got some towers. And yeah, it looks pretty big. But I'm going to hear what my king says. We're going to stand. Well, this is much like the word of God. Amen. Because Jesus is the word, is he not? The Bible tells us in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, what? Was God. And the Word became flesh, and so we know that the Word of God is Jesus in the flesh. Hallelujah. Or Jesus in the flesh is the Word of God. And Jesus is the King, correct? Jesus said in uh, John chapter 18, when talking with Pilate, Pilate says, so you are a king, and Jesus said, you say correctly that I'm a king, and for this reason I've come, and for this reason I was born and I've come. To bear witness to truth, and everyone who hears my voice hears what? Truth. So then when the king speaks, that is the truth. Hezekiah represents the voice of God. Amen. What is God saying? What's God doing? And he speaks something. In the natural, this looks overwhelming. But we've got to remember that we are with the greater one. Hallelujah. John told us this. He said, in First John, he said, Greater is he who is in you than he who's in the world. No matter what's going on in the world, there's a greater one over this world and above this world system that can cause the unseen realm of God to show up and manifest in the seen realm. Amen. Beyond our comprehension. And so I want to let you know, when you get a word from God, when you hear something from God, when God begins to encourage you concerning something you're going through, you know, you want to take courage in that. He says, be strong and courageous. <laughs> Remember, he said this. He said, be, be strong and courageous and do not fear or be dismayed. Amen. We have to make sure that we're not dismayed or in fear of what's coming against us. What is being said? What actions coming towards us? We have to be strong and courageous. For Paul wrote in Ephesians, he said, When you've done all to stand, stand. So we're to be strong and courageous. Why? Because there's a greater one for us. Amen. There's a greater one in covenant with us. King Hezekiah represented the God of the world in the natural he was in covenant with God, for God had made covenant with Israel, and he's king over Judah, Judah being that which is a remnant of David, because David was such a man after God's own heart and wanted to follow and be obedient that the Lord said, I will keep someone of your seed in the throne. And multiple times he said, I won't do this to, this, uh, to the house of David. Why? For the sake of my servant David. Amen. He kept a remnant in Israel through the bloodline of David. Amen. And you understand Jesus came from that bloodline. Jesus came from that bloodline. So not only is Jesus the king of heaven, but he has right to the king of the earth through a bloodline from Mary. Because you understand, he didn't come from Joseph, but he came of a virgin woman, Mary. And she's of the bloodline of David. Hallelujah. So we see here that he encourages them. Now let's get in verse 9. After this, it wasn't before, but after. 
After this, the king of Assyria sent his servants to Jerusalem while he was besieging another place with all his forces with him against Hezekiah, king of Judah, and against all Judea who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the king of Assyria, On what are you trusting that you are remaining in Jerusalem under siege? Is not Hezekiah what? Misleading you to give yourselves over to die by hunger and thirst, saying, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria. Notice the king has just put together an effort. He sees, this doesn't look good. These guys are coming after us. Let me rally the people. Let me build that which is broken. Let me fortify another layer for us. Allow me to lift up some towers. Let's cut off the supply to the enemy so that they're not refreshed. Let's keep the water here for ourselves. And let me encourage the people, no matter how bad it looks, based upon what you're seeing, God's for us. Encouraging the people. And the minute you get a word of encouragement, more bad news shows up. Come on now. This is how the enemy operates. There's always an attack on God's Word. The minute you come up out of a church service feeling excited that you can do something, then Monday it seems like there's a word that shows up contrary. Amen? There's a phone call that comes contrary. There's a comment on Facebook that comes contrary. There's something that's contrary. Trying to talk what? Trying to talk you out of your position, your stance. And so the king of Syria says, don't you see that I'm out here fixing to make war? I don't even know why you're wasting your time staying in Jerusalem. Okay? He sent, sent them. Then he goes, and then he says, are you listening to Hezekiah? I mean, listen, this man is going to mislead. If you're listening to what he says because he says his God is going to take care of you. Now, look, let's go on. He says, has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places? And his altars and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before one altar and on it you shall burn incense. Now what he's saying is, is Hezekiah, because he honored God, he went through Judea and he tore down the high places and all these other altars because they were put up because other kings had put them to worship other gods. And Hezekiah was saying, listen, we're getting rid of all that stuff. We're going to go back to the true and living God. I'm going to worship the real God. But see, king of Assyria, he don't know a god. And when he's going into places, all gods look the same to him. So he's thinking he's already cut off his own god by taking away his offering places and his high places. And he's limited God to one little place. What's his god going to do for you? You see this. He goes on and says this. Has not the same he done this? He says, you shall worship, verse 13, but do you not know what I and my fathers have? What's that word? Done. Now, he's talking from experience. This is good. He says, Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of the land? This word's coming from experience. This, this person has an experience in the same realm. This is how this is. Listen, let me tell you something. You want to listen to what I'm telling you about your money because I have experience in how to handle money. Yet God has a way on how to handle money. Come on now. You don't want to waste your time sowing into the ground. Come on, because that's a waste cause. We got famine in the land. But Isaac, when he heard that everybody's going to Egypt and they're getting jobs there because of the famine, the Lord says, Isaac, stay where you're at and plant in the season you're at. Now all the financial advisors says, don't you know that there's jobs in Egypt? Don't you know you can take care of your family? You are crazy. To leave your family in this same land, there's no water, it's nothing but famine. What are you doing? Listen, I have 
been to Egypt. I have seen this. I have experienced. Let me be your financial advisor. What did Isaac do? Isaac listened to the Lord, planted, and had a hundredfold return. And because he's the only one in the region with a crop, guess who made all the money? Hallelujah. This is good. So here, the enemy comes and starts boasting about what they've done. Now, you understand this. I have experienced people with this stage of cancer, they don't make it. Come on, help me now. You see what I'm saying? I mean, here you are encouraged by his stripes. He's healed. I've got this. I'm going to be healed. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. I've not been feeling good, and I have some symptoms, and I'm going to the doctor tomorrow. But you know what? I know I'm being strong. I'm going to be courageous. I'm not going to be in fear. I'm not going to be dismayed. I know my God has healed me, and he's my healer. You go to the doctor. They run these tests, and they come out and say, you got cancer. you got six months to live. That's a different word than what you were expecting. Does that mean God's not able? Is he any less able to, hand, to handle cancer where there's perceivably six months to live as opposed to a cold? He's healed it all, has he not? Amen. Come on now. So in essence, here's the enemy coming and saying, listen, look what I've done. I have done to all the people. He says, were the gods of the nations of the lands able at all to deliver their land from my hand? I mean, this guy has a resume. A resume of destruction. He's gone from one land to the next. It doesn't matter which God they worshipped, which they obviously didn't worship this one. And he conquered them, annihilated them, burned up their little idols. You see this? This is what he's saying. Verse 14. Who was there among all the gods of the nations of which my fathers utterly destroyed? Who could deliver his people out of my hand? that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand. My, my, my. That sounds just like the enemy, doesn't he? You get a verse and the Lord says this, and then the enemy will want to come and say, but now the Lord can't do this. You're, you're just too far in. Or he'll say, you know, the Lord would love to do that for you, but the problem is you've blown it too many times. You're not worthy of that happening to you. Don't you know how many times you blew it with God and you didn't follow God and didn't do this? Don't you understand? Come on now, I'm preaching a lot better than we're getting response right now. Amen? <laughs> I want to encourage you because, listen, there's types and shadows of this and we need to recognize this because, listen, just because you know what God says doesn't mean there's not going to be an enemy out there that's going to try to take that out of you and get you not to act on it. This is why... People in the church live such defeated lives because they come in on a Sunday and get excited about one thing, but on Monday somebody's talking something else. And if they don't hold to what they heard on Sunday, they're not going to make it through Monday and Tuesday. Half of them aren't going on Wednesday anyway, so they got to get all the way to next Sunday. And there's a lot of voices talking Monday through Saturday. Come on now. A lot of voices talking. And a lot of circumstances that say, I have done. I have done. Now, therefore, do not let, look what he says, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you like this. Do not believe him. Amen? Do not believe him. I mean, people will tell you, listen, you can't take that Bible literally. I mean, you really mean to tell me you think you can believe that? That God would actually do that for you? Just trying to get you out of being in a position of believing God. And we know what God said. He said, all things are possible with him who believes. 
He told Jairus, he said, only believe. Don't come off this thing. Jairus, that's a great another example. He knows that God's the healer. He touches people. He heals them all the time. He touching this person, touch that person, touch this person, touch that person. He said, man, if I go to Jesus, have him come to my house to touch my daughter. She's sick. So he runs out into the crowd. He finds Jesus. He says, Jesus, my daughter's at the point of death. Please come to my house and touch her that she may live. Jesus says, fine, I'll come to your house. So he's going, but he's in a crowd. It's pressed. I mean, they're trying to get through. And you know how Jairus is right now. He's in a frantic. He's pushing people out of the way. Come on, Jackson, about to die. What you doing? What you doing? You like, you better get up out my way. I am, you, I got to get to my house. Move! Come on, move! Move! I see how that is. And Jesus just moving along. And then all of a sudden, you're making a way for Jesus and he stops. Right? Now that'd be, what you doing? My girl's about to die. And he stops and says, wait a minute, somebody touched me. Remember this? In the course of getting somewhere, someone touches him. Well, everybody's been touching him, but somebody touched him in faith. Because there was a woman that heard he was in town, and she's had this issue of blood for 12 years, and she said to herself, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be healed. So she presses through a crowd and gets to him on, the, on her hands and knees, touches his hem, power comes up out him, and heals her, and she tries to slip away, but he stops and says, wait a minute, somebody touched me. Wait a minute, hold on. Stop everything. Faith has touched me. It stops me. See, when you're in real faith, you stop God. Now, he's not concerned about Jairus' daughter because he's already said, I'll come. He, it don't matter where she goes. So he stops, has this conversation. She finds out she's unnoticed. She relays the story. He says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. At this point, he turns around and he proceeds to go to Jairus' house. But Jairus now has some servants come and say, Master, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter has died. Now, you know what Jairus did. He didn't rejoice. Obviously, as his countenance fell, he thought, it's over. Why? Because his belief in Jesus was if he heals, touches her while she's sick, she'll be healed. Same thing with Martha. Same problem Martha had with Jesus. Jesus, if you had only come, Lazarus would not have died if you had come while he was sick. And here's Jesus weeping, not because Lazarus had died, but because they can't believe and they don't understand he is the resurrection. And so he looks at Jairus and he says, only believe. All things are possible with him. So he gets to the house. He walks in the house. Everybody's crying. You understand? See, there was a word Jairus needed from Jesus. I want you to heal my daughter. He said, I'm going to come to your house and heal her. There's the word. Be of courage. Don't be of fear. Don't have dismay. You've heard the king talk about this thing. But what happens? He gets another immediate wave coming. There's a distraction that he thinks is a distraction that's stopping him from getting to his daughter, thinking, my gosh, man, are we really going to stop and have this conversation about this woman? Glad you're healed, man, but my daughter's about to die. Then he get this next report. Listen, what are they saying? It's already done. She's dead. I mean, they're speaking from experience. He walks in the house. Everybody's crying. They're preparing a funeral. They're weeping and everything. Jesus said, what? Why are y'all crying? She's only asleep. And they start laughing at him. And he runs them out. Get on at the house. Why? You bunch of doubt and unbelief. You don't believe who I am. Go and get out the house. He takes mom and dad in with a couple of his disciples, just a couple. And he looks at the girl and says, daughter, get up. And she did. Raised her from the dead. Because nothing's too far gone for him. Amen. His word cannot fail. But there will be a resistance to that word 
when you grab hold, there's always going to be a voice that wants to try to challenge and say it can't be and will want to use seen experience. But people do die of cancer. But so-and-so went to church and they died of cancer. I don't know what they were believing. Don't assume that they were actually in faith because sometimes people aren't. Come on now. You know, there's a whole lot of things God's saying and we need to grab hold of what he's saying. And don't let go. So he says, listen, in essence, he's saying, don't listen to Hezekiah. Don't let him deceive and mislead you. Don't believe him. He said, for no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hands of my father. Go on back. I wasn't done yet. You're, you're quick. You're quick. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? I mean, he's absolutely just calling. God can't do what he says. Do you see this? Then he goes, verse 16, his servant spoke further against uh, the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. I mean, absolute taunting. Do you see this? Just talking and running off at the mouth, saying you just can't be done. Verse 17, he also wrote letters to insult the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, as the gods of the nations of the land have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. They called this out with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to what? What was their purpose? To frighten and terrify them so they might take the city. The enemy has a weapon. It's called fear. Because if you're in fear, you're not in faith. If you're afraid, you're really not believing what the Word says. And if he can get you in fear, it puts you in the opposite position of faith, which means he can stop the word from taking root and producing fruit in your life. He can do this. Do you see this? We have got to be people who hold fast to the word of God and believe him at his word. See, faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. We cannot allow life's circumstance to dictate to us what truth is we must allow the Word to dictate what truth is. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, we've seen this scripture, but it's, it's, it's so important for us to repeat it. Paul said, we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are what? Temporary. The things that are not seen are eternal. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will never pass away. He said, my Word shall not return unto me void. It shall accomplish that which I sent it to do. Amen. And so what the Word is saying about us, we need to grab hold of that and be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because the greater one is with us than the one that's in the world. Amen. And so we need to have this and we need to follow in the footsteps of our father Abraham who is the father of us all. Romans chapter 4 tells us that he was firmly persuaded. Okay, let's look at this particular passage of Scripture. We'll come back to 2 Corinthians 32. But I want to look at this real quick. He was firmly persuaded. Hallelujah. And we have to be in this kind of uh, position. Verse 16 of the, 16 of the um, fourth chapter of Romans says, For this reason it is by faith and order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only of those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. 
as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. The Lord called Abram, Abraham, long before he had any kids. In God's position, in his unseen realm, he saw a many nations coming from Abram. So he says, your name now is Abraham, which means the father of many nations. Yet he's not given birth to one child. And the child is to come through his covenant wife, Sarah, not her mistress, which is an uncovenant child, the child of the flesh, but the child of promise, which was Isaac. And from there, we have this father of many nations. Hallelujah. That his descendants would be so great, it would be like the sands of the seas, or the sand on the seashore. Amen. And did Abraham accomplish this? Yes, he did. So for years, he was walking around calling himself Abraham, though he was like someone who had no children. But look what it says concerning him, verse 18. He says this, or or let's go on in verse 17. In the presence of him who believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Or one translation says, calls those things that be not as though they were. So when he looked at Abram, he didn't see Abram, he saw Abraham. And he wasn't moved by what was going on in the scene because he knows in the time my word will work and prevail in his life and it will be accomplished and he will be Abraham. Amen. So then we get on to verse 18 and it goes and says this, In hope against hope he believed. Now we know the word hope means confident expectation. So Abraham in confident expectation against confidently expecting. And against being able to confidently expect, he still confidently expected. And hope against hope, he what? Believed. So that he might become a father of many nations according, according to that which had been what? Spoken. So shall your descendants be. I'm telling you, Abraham was so convinced of this that when God later on said, I need you to take your son Isaac to a mountain, I want you to sacrifice him for me. Abraham was struggling with that. He was like, I just, I don't understand what the Lord's having me do. Because he has already spoken a word to me that my wife would have this child. Do you see this? And look at this, before they had the child, it said, verse 19, Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body now, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Sarah was never able to have children. She was barren. Now, he's gotten to a point where he's like, I don't even know if I'm working. Amen? But he's still doing the actions that are required to have kids. Why? Because yet in respect to the promise, that which was spoken, the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but what grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. He kept performing so that it would come to pass as God had ordained it. And did they have a child? Yes, they did. Now, how many of you women won't have a kid at 90? No, see, no. No way. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? No way. My youngest daughter right now was 17. Now, my wife would love to have another child. She's just like that. I'm thinking, we got enough little babies running around from church. Just go pick a few of them up. We got grandkids for that matter. Go grab them, bring them home, and then... They can go back to the house. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, I love kids. Believe me, I got three of them myself and two grandkids. Amen. We want to have more for sure. My son, my middle son, is fixing to get married in two weeks. Two weeks from yesterday, he's getting married. Hallelujah. Okay. 
I love it, man. Get them on out the house, man. It's been good. It's been good. Let's transition. It's been exciting. I'll see them. <laughs> but she would. She would. And I think, man, you'd be like Sarah. You'd have one at 90. You'd have one at 90. Now, I'm telling you, Sarah was a good-looking woman, though. Because when she was 70, they went into one place, and the king wanted her as a bride. You got to be looking pretty good at 70 to be wanted by a man. You understand what I'm saying? She obviously aged very well. Okay? And so, um, anyway, she has this child. And so he's this. Why? He was not in respect to what he saw. He kept believing God was able to do. And then verse 21, and being fully assured, because he didn't weaken his faith, being fully assured what God had promised, he was able also to what? Perform. This is so important for us. Because I want you to understand something. If you're a person of faith, you're going to believe God in his word, you're always going to have some form of opposition. And when you get excited and see it starting to work, don't think the enemy won't try to come and discourage you from believing it before it comes to pass. But you've got to stay strong and be firmly persuaded, have a firm persuasion. You do not come off this thing at all. So again, back to Abraham. Here he's got this boy now, okay? And I'm, some commentaries believe that when we see the word lad, it isn't necessarily lad as a little child as much as it is lad, one before they become uh, um, an adult that takes over what daddy has, some people believe he may have been 30 years old. Now, that's kind of interesting. Can you imagine taking your 30-year-old son? Come on, how old are you? Thank you. Come on, son. We're going up to the mountain, and you're carrying all these sticks. So, Dad, where's the sacrifice at? The Lord will provide. You lay them all out. I said, Tommy, get up on there. Turn around, Tommy. Let me bind you up now. I'm going to put you up here. I mean, can you imagine? Now, Tommy's thinking, I'd be fighting Dad right now. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> you ain't hearing from God. You're not hearing. But all the while, Abraham's going up. He's thinking, now, he said, so my descendants will be. He told me that that one woman that I slept with and my other boy Ishmael, they ain't even coming. I, I blew it there that it was this child. How in the world is he requiring me to kill the only son that I have that is the child of promise? And it says in Hebrews, he was so convinced that God would always do what he said that it says this in Hebrews, that when he was up the, to pull back the knife, he was firmly persuaded, I'm going to kill this boy and went to go stab him, he was believing that God must be able to raise the dead. And you understand, up to this point, there's no resurrection that he was going through some Bible saying, oh, now look how Jesus raised Lazarus, and look how he dealt. There was none of that going on. There was no conversation that he had to go to that would bring him that truth. He contemplated himself by the Spirit because he saw how God was so faithful to always perform his word. This seems so contrary to his word then if I actually perform this action, I'm really going to not lose my son. God must be able to raise him from the dead. Now, you know what's very powerful about that? That's exactly what God did with Jesus. God did do that. Which tells us this, Abraham knew more about what was going to happen with God and Jesus than most people do, and he wasn't even born again. Mm. he was so convinced that what God says, it can't be any other way. So back to Second Chronicles chapter 32. This is good, isn't it? 
In 2 Chronicles 32, here we got all these reports that all this stuff's going bad. It ain't good. This is not good. Hezekiah, he sees there's a problem, and he looks at all the people. I mean, there's tons of them out there. He's thinking, oh, my gosh. Okay, he had to remind himself, God's with us, though. I mean, I've honored God. And so, you know what? We're not going to just sit here and lay around. No, what we're going to do is we're going to cut off their supply. We're going to rebuild our wall, and we're not ignorant. We're going to build another wall. We're going to be in preparation. Because I don't know how God's going to do this, but all I know is we're going to be strong and courageous. We're not going to be fear or full of dismay. I have the word of God on this. He is for this country. Same thing David say, said when he heard the, uh, Goliath down there in the valley running off at the mouth. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistines that defy the army of God? You understand what I'm saying? He had revelation. God's for us. I don't know what he's talking about. And I understand why y'all up here on the side of the mountain, I don't know why none of y'all don't run down there and go cut his head off. This is ludicrous. Then when he starts hearing, yeah, you know what? The king could give you some stuff if you do this. Well, what are he going to give you? His daughter, and then your family's not going to have to pay any taxes. Amen. He'll put you up. In, in, and he's thinking, my gosh, we'll do that. I'll do that. Amen. And so Saul takes this boy in, and he says, well, load him up with armor. I mean, we'll go ahead and put him out there. And what did he tell Saul? He said, listen, I killed a lion and a bear. This, this Philistine be no different. No different. So he walks out there, and what's that Philistine say to him? He said, am I a dog? You send me a little stick. I'm going to go fetch or something. He said, and he cursed him by his God. He said, I'm going to cut your head off. I'm going to feed your body to the birds. And what did David say? He said, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. He said, no, I'm going to cut your head off, and then we're going to kill everybody behind you. Because he knew this, you're a liar, and those people are not going to submit and serve us after I kill you, so we're going to have to kill them too. And they did it. Hallelujah. Why? He, was, he knew the word of the Lord. He was fearless. He was without dismay. He stayed strong and courageous. He did not let the taunting of another voice that was against God's word to change his thinking. But he kept his mind on what God says. This is very important and very significant. Because if we are to live a life of faith, if we are to produce what God's called us to do, if we are to live this, then we must stand in it and believe it, period, no matter what it looks like. What has he said? What has he said concerning the situation we're in? And let's stand on it. And if we begin to stand, because people say, well, I still tried to believe the Bible, but it just got worse. Well, sure, it's going to get worse. He gives us plenty of types and shadows. It's going to get worse. But if you'll stay with the Word, the Word will work. So here he is, man. I mean, they are not only telling Hezekiah, you're an idiot. Can you understand this? As a king, he's trying to get everybody excited about standing firm, and he's just hearing somebody say, you're a liar. I mean, don't believe nothing he's saying. You're deceived. Don't even be following him anymore. I'm telling you, you guys are going to die. you letting somebody going to kill you. Now, Hezekiah's got to deal with those thoughts, and all the people are having to deal with those thoughts as well. But look what he does, verse 20. But King Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet, whoo, Isaiah the prophet, okay, prayed about this and cried to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel, man, who destroyed every mighty warrior, commander, and officer in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned in shame to his own land and... Where he had entered the temple, and when he had entered the temple of his God, some of his own children killed him with the sword. Do you see this? Come on now. I'll show you this in Isaiah. Let's look at this. It should give me a reference here. Isaiah. That's uh, in 30 something. 
Hold on, I'll tell you. We'll go to it. Probably 38. Look at this. Isaiah writes about himself. Here, yeah, let's go. Um, yeah, he pray, let's look at Isaiah thirty-seven fourteen uh, of Isaiah's account. Okay, Isaiah thirty-seven fourteen. Y'all there? Look what it says. It says then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messenger and read it, and he went to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, "O Lord of hosts, look what he says now. Who is enthroned above the cherubim?" You are are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and listen to all the words, this guy, which is the king of Assyria, who sent them to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria have devastated all the countries and the land. Look what he's saying. He says they've done this. His resume is truth. And have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands. So Hezekiah knew, he says, he's got all this arrogance because he thinks he's gone up against all these gods and destroyed the land and those gods couldn't deliver these people. But we know they're just man-made idols of wood and stone. Verse, uh, so they have destroyed them. That was verse 19, verse 20. He says, now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. You see this. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, um, sent word to Hezekiah and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me about the king of Assyria, this is the word the Lord has spoken against him. She has despised you and mocked you. And then he goes on and gives this particular word. In essence, he says this. Go to uh, mm, verse 33. Verse 33. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he will not come to this city. Or shoot an arrow there, he will not come before it with a shield, or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, by the same he will return. He will not come to this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for, here it is, for my servant David's sake. Now where did this start? Here's King Hezekiah, he's the king of Judah, he's in Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, the king of Assyria comes with all of his massive army. And Hezekiah remembers God's word that he's in covenant with him, and he has served him his life. He's one of those kings that did right in the sight of the Lord. He desired to know the things of God and the ways of God. And when he saw this army, an army of a mass amount of people mounted against him, he said, well, if they're going to come, there's no sense in us giving them water. So you know what? Let's go ahead and block up all the water supply from us to them. Let's go ahead and do that. Let's go ahead and rebuild this wall. Let's go ahead and put another line of defense out there. Let's go ahead and prepare ourselves. Let's go ahead and put us up a tower. Now, listen, I want to say something to you. I want to encourage you. everybody that's in here. Listen, I want you to know this. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed of this horde that you see. Don't worry about it. Because greater, the greater one is with us, and that's with them. Amen. So he strengthened them in the things of God. He strengthened his military. They had a plan. They were there. And there they waited on the Lord because they believed God was able to deliver. And now he's got everybody at peace, ready and confident. And then an word contrary to the word of God shows up or to the word of their king. A word contrary. Don't believe him. He's a liar. He'll mislead you. Don't you understand all them other lands that had gods? We killed them and your God ain't no different. In essence, what is he trying to do? Get the town and the city 
to doubt the ability of their God. How many times has the enemy tried to get you to doubt the ability of the creator of heaven and earth? He can't heal you. Listen, you just need to be happy that you're going to heaven. How many people have resorted, well, but at least I'm going to heaven. But he wants to heal you now. Well, but at least you know I'm going to go to heaven. The Lord is the healer today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. And so here's people who are giving way to sickness and disease because the doctor says, I have seen this before. There's no cure. They have six months. You need to say it, but I have seen the Lord. And the word of my king is more powerful than what you're limited to do for me. So that's okay. He'll take over, and I'll be healed, and I'll be miraculous healing, and you'll say God and God alone must have been able to do this because we have no cure. Come on now. We've got to stand and believe God in his word. And so he comes and gives his resume and says, the person you're listening to is a liar. That word doesn't work. So what does Hezekiah do? Did he say, fine, okay, let's go, let's give up? Did he do that? Did he go and cry and say, why me, God, why me? I don't know why you did this to me, Lord. Did he do that? Did he whine back? No. What did he do? He went, took the letters, and he laid them before God, and he said, see what they're saying about you? You see what they're saying about you? And they're boasting about all these gods, and we know, I know, Lord, you know that there ain't no other gods out there. So are you going to let them, or are you going to do something about this? Are you going to prove that you are the God of all nations, all kingdoms? And the Lord heard that prayer and spoke through the prophet Isaiah and said, you let him know that this man won't even put an arrow to the, to the city. He won't even get close enough to touch it. Now let's look at this again in Isaiah because this really kind of describes what took place. Verse 36, look at this. Then the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of these were dead. Can you imagine? Here's all these horde of people, and they go to bed and wake up, and 185 of their men, and, and we're talking about choice warriors. It's one of them things, it's like a private, you understand what I'm saying? It's like a private who just got into the army. He ain't going to special forces. You know, he's not a Green Beret, he's not a Ranger, he's not a Navy SEAL, not those. And they go up, and all the Navy SEALs, all the Green Beret, all the Rangers, they're dead. And you're thinking... Dude, if they died, I just got in. I'm going to the house. You see what I'm saying? So the king wakes up and realizes, I don't even know how they mounted this attack. I mean, he's in such shame, he goes back home. And then his own boys kill him, his own children. He never shot an arrow, never brought up a shield. Why? Because the word of God doesn't fail let's pray father we thank you for your word and we thank you it doesn't fail lord we will believe